No, probably no crying. Try not to cry. Did you say there will be no crying? Yeah, I said there will be no crying. I'm gonna wait till everyone gets back to their chairs before I start. That's okay. You don't get to decide. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Allie. Um, I feel like I've met most of you or even had some of you in class or in, we're in the same college group. So, But for those of you who don't know me, I'm Allie and Riley's cousin and part of this family right here and all over there. <laughs> um, what's that? The best family. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I saw everyone giving their testimonies here, and I was just like, I want to do that. It's, it's just so much fun to be able to share your story. Um, I wouldn't say that mine's, like, anything special. You know, I haven't gone through anything super tragic, but it's still, I mean, everyone has a short, like, a story to share, and God is always working through them, so it's just great to be able to share with you guys. So um, I'm going to start, actually, by reading in John. Um this is when Jesus meets the woman at the well, and she uh, she's a Samaritan woman, and so he's really not supposed to be like culturally talking to her, and uh, he asks her to give her, give him some water, um, and she um, they have like this kind of discussion, and he says to her, "Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him." will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So as I was thinking about my testimony, this this like part of the Bible just kind of came up to me because I did grow up in a Christian home and I was saved at five, um, but I don't remember the moment. <laughs> I don't remember when it happened. I just knew that growing up that I was saved. Um, and then I went to Super Camporific, if any of you guys had the honor of going to that. <laughs> and uh, Riley was my bunkmate, and uh, we had the best time eating way too much sugar and Slim Jims, and we were just talking about it yesterday. It was it was a good time, but if we even tried to do that today, like we'd be rolling around on the ground right now, like just dying. <laughs> um, but it was it was just a great time, and I think it was my second year that I went there. Um, they used to do this skit every single time. Uh, about these two friends and they were supposedly like at the golf course or I don't know what but they were out and about and lightning struck them and so they went to heaven and the one friend was a believer in Christ and the other wasn't and so when they got to the gates of heaven one of them wasn't allowed to come in um, and so that that story is really hard to hear and it always just kind of struck me I was like what about my friend like what happens if like my friends that I have now aren't saved and so the second year I went, though, I thought to myself, what if that was me? Um, because I couldn't remember being saved. And so I would say that that year was the moment where I, like, dedicated my life to Christ. Man, I'm going to cry. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I've been just really emotional, like, the last two months. So anyway. So that was a moment that I, like, decided that I really wanted to live for Christ. But as many of you know, living for Christ isn't easy, and it kind of takes growth and frustration and just coming to him over and over and over again and saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just been a really hard journey. Um, so I would categorize my like fifth grade year to 
my senior year as my running years. <laughs> and so I was highly invested in a sport that um, was just demanding, like demanded my time and my effort, um, all of my focus. And there was definitely a component to it that was like, how am I gonna serve God through this? Um, but by the end of it, like that wasn't even a factor, honestly. Um, my freshman and sophomore year, whenever I'd go to state, I would like make shirts that said like run for God and that was supposed to be like part of my testimony and everything. But even that, like I felt like I would wear the shirt, but I wasn't really living it. Like I wasn't actually running for God, I was running for myself. Um, so go to my senior year, uh, running is just falling apart all around me. Uh, my health had declined. Um, I went to a doctor who said they weren't even sure how I was still running because I didn't have near enough nutrients in my body. Um, but anyway, I decided to give it up for a while. And it was probably one of the best decisions that I ever made um, my senior year just because um, that was when my parents started fostering. And I just saw like this whole new part of life that was, um, I think like God's plan for me was to like, just see how much more he had to offer than a sport or whatever it is that maybe you guys like are thinking of that you're focused way too much on instead of God's plan for you. But that for me was just like a wake up moment. And I think we have a lot of wake up moments. I don't know if I can just say this about myself, but um, that definitely was, I mean, just seeing where those kids came from and the life that they had, I was just like, wow, like I felt shame. I was like, how could I focus so much on one thing for that long? And like, I was angry. Um, <laughs> uh, I sat outside this church my senior year and just bawled my eyes out because I felt lost. Um, I couldn't even come into the service. But all throughout that, God was like holding on to me. Sorry, I'm gonna cry. Dang <laughs> it. Um, anyway, if you haven't come to faith in Him, you haven't drank this water, you're gonna walk through life and you're, you're not gonna know where you're going. Um, Cause in an instant it could all be gone like that. And you could be that friend that goes to heaven and stands at the gate and God says, I never knew you. So I'm not trying to scare you. I guess I'm just trying to express what you could be missing out on. And if you're here and you're not sure, then come to God and ask him because it's gonna be worth it. And it's the best thing that you could do. And it's the best thing that I ever did. And I struggle with anxiety and depression, but the thing that gets me through it, along with all the joys that I have in this life, but the one thing that gets me through it is my faith in Christ. So yeah, that's why I get emotional. <laughs> it's happy tears. So, but thank you. Yeah, that's all. Thank you, Ali.
I love John 4, and I love, like, how the Bible always uses living water to, like, express, like, what Jesus gives us. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right. I'm going to hand out these papers. Um, just take one and pass them around. I'll start with these. Um, so today we're going to be talking about um, Christianity and Catholicism. And so a lot of you might have friends or family that are Catholic. Some of you even might have a Catholic background. Um, so I want to be super sensitive when we talk about this. And I just want to emphasize the gospel and to show you guys exactly what the Bible teaches, what we believe, if you're a Christian, what you believe. Um, and kind of like what Allie was talking about, talk about the one thing that's going to give us life, the one thing that is going to give us purpose. Um, so yeah, uh, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. And I gave you guys the papers because today is going to be a little bit more um, like deeper, I guess. And I'm going to be doing a lot of talking and you guys are going to be doing a lot of listening. I'm going to ask questions here and there, but um, in order to like best help you guys follow along. I made like a little handout that follows along with the lesson so you can take notes, um, jot down things that stand out to you, um, all that stuff. And then on the second part of the paper, I see Maddie looking at right now. Um, there's two pieces of paper. On the second part, I have quotes from the Catholic Catechism of Faith, which is basically what they believe. And I'm going to quote them in my lesson, but I put them on the paper in case you want to go back and look at them or if you want to follow along. And that's like their statement of faith. That's like what they believe. So it's like little snippets from their catechism and from the Council of Trent, which I can explain later. But anyway, today when I say Christianity, I'm going to be talking about, like when Christianity, when I say Christianity, I'm talking about evangelical Protestantism, which is what, if you are a gospel-believing Christian, if you believe Jesus died to save you, you are an evangelical Protestant. So it's just a fancy term. Um, it's not important, but a lot of people call themselves Christians, right? Um, so I don't want to just say Christian and assume everyone thinks that, like, that I'm, like, what? Let me start over. I don't want to say Christian, and then you guys be confused on what I mean. Um, I mean, when I say Christian, I mean gospel-believing people. Um, so, yeah, many Catholics would call themselves Christians, so that's why I just want to make this distinction. Um, and so, like I said before, I know this is a very sensitive topic, um, but I just want to equip you guys with what the Bible says. I want to just make the distinctions between Catholicism and Christianity um, because I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am going to heaven not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus has done for me. And I want you guys to be as sure as ever that you are going to heaven and that you have faith in Christ. And I also want you guys to be equipped with things that you can use to share your faith with your Catholic friends and family. Um, so let's go ahead and just dive in. Um, so first, what is Roman Catholicism? Roman Catholicism is the faith practice and government of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so the Pope is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. He's like the head honcho. Um, and Roman Catholicism teaches that there is one God, and they believe in the Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and it originates with Christianity. So Christianity, um, they would say that they are Christian because their origins are Christianity. So a long time ago, there was a split in the Roman Catholic Church and over a lot of different things that we're going to go into. But one side um, split away from the church, and they called themselves uh, Protestants. And that's what we are. We are gospel-believing Christians. Or if you believe in the gospel, that is what you are. You're a Protestant. And then the other side stayed Roman Catholic. So that's why a lot of Catholics would call themselves Christians, because that's where their origin is from. Um, half of the global population 
is Catholic. So a lot of there's a lot of Catholics out there, and it's growing in rapid amounts. So we have to be we have to be able to talk about it because if a lot of the people we're going to be talking about are Catholic, we have to know what they believe. Um, and a lot of people are practicing Catholics, so that means that they go to Mass, and they go to church, and they pray the prayers, and they do all the things that make them Catholic, um, but others just say it's more of a tradition in their life. So their family might be Catholic, and so it's more of like a, a family thing, a tradition thing, which we can understand as Christians, because a lot of us come from Christian families, and some of us would say, I was just a Christian for a little while because my family was Christian. Um, so yeah, I made a list of what is similar in Christianity and Catholicism, and I wrote that at the very top of your guys' paper. Um, so number one, they believe that there is one true God, um, and they believe in the Trinity. Um, and the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them are God. All of them are one. It's impossible to understand, um, but it's essential to what we believe. And number two, they also believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, that Jesus is the Son, um, and they teach that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then suffered death and was resurrected. So same thing that Christians believe. And number three, they, they believe in the, the, the depravity of man. Um, so basically saying that, Christian, that people are sinners and need a savior. So that's the same thing that Christians believe. Um, so you guys be, might be looking at that list and be like, well, isn't that enough? Like, that's a lot of, that's like the basic stuff about Christianity. Um, but there are major differences. Um, crucial differences to understand. So let's go ahead and dive into that. So on your paper, I have a bunch of different boxes. And if you want to take notes, you're welcome to. And one box is the Roman Catholicism box, and the other box is the Christian box. So each one of these sections we're going to go through and say, this is what Roman Catholics believe, this is what Christians believe. And I'll be providing um, verses and also things from their statement of faith um, to kind of show you exactly what's going on. So when it comes to authority and scripture, um, Catholics have three sources of authority that they look to. So number one is the Bible, which is great. We also, as Christians, look to the Bible as our authority. But they also add on what they call the Apocrypha, which is different, different books of the Bible that they've kind of like added on and said these are also part of the Bible that Christianity rejects. So the Apocrypha is just a, like books added on to the original Bible. Um, the second thing that they look to for authority is church tradition. So um, this is stuff that they might participate in, such as mass or their daily prayers, um, confessions. They have a lot of different traditions that they hold to that are really important to them. Um, and in their catechism of faith, they say, both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So this means that they look at what their tradition is and at the Bible with the same importance. So whatever they do themselves, the works that they do at church, the mass that they go to, that is equally as important as the word of God to them. Um, and three, another source of authority for Catholics is the magisterium. Um, and this is the teaching ministry of the Pope. So when they look to the Pope, who is the head of the church, they are basically saying that he has ultimate authority. Um, when the Pope speaks, he speaks words of God. Those are perfect words. And the Pope has a lot of authority over the people. Um, in their Catechism of Faith, it, they say, It is clear, therefore, that the, supre the supremely wise arrangement of God, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the other. Working together, each in its own way, under the action of one Holy Spirit, they all contri contribute effectively to the salvation of souls. So again, these quotes are on the back of your paper. So basically what this quote is saying is all three of these things, 
um, the Bible and the Apocrypha, church tradition, and the magisterium, all three of these work together to save somebody. All three of these things must, like, must happen in someone's life in order to be saved. Um, so this is very different than Christianity, than what we teach here at Village Bible Church and what a lot of Christians believe. Um, so for Christianity, scripture is the ultimate authority and scripture alone. Um, so could I have someone turn to Isaiah 48? Who would like to turn to Isaiah 48 for us? Who said that? Okay, perfect. So uh, chapter 40, verse 8. And then can I have someone turn to 2 Timothy 3.16? Awesome. Thank you, Julie. Um, and then once you're there, Julie, let me know. I'm Julia. Um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the word of our God will stand forever. Awesome. And then you can go ahead and read it when you have it, Julie. Um, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you want me to read that for yourself? Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for everything. Awesome. So. Christianity, we believe that the Bible and the Bible alone is our source of authority because the Bible is the word of God. So the like the words on these pages are literally from the Lord, whether they are inspired by the people that wrote them or if God like literally told somebody, these are my words, please write them. Like when I was reading in Jeremiah this morning, God actually says to Jeremiah at one point, I'm going to tell you something, you write it down word for word and you put it in the book. So it can he can either say it through inspiration or actually physically say it to someone. Um, so as Christians, we believe that this Bible is our authority because it's the word of God and nothing should be added to it or taken away from it. In Revelation 22:18, it says that the, anyone that takes away from the book, um, takes away from the Bible, um, is cursed. If you take away something or if you add something to it, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, so we believe that the scripture is most important. Um, any questions on authority in scripture? We will go ahead and move on to Mary. So a lot of you guys, when I first think of Catholicism, I often think of Mary because I, my Catholic friends, they have like pictures of Mary in their room or they wear like Mary on their necklace. Um, and I always wondered like, why is Mary so important to them? Um, and it's because Catholicism teaches that Mary is the holy mother of God. So according to Catholic belief, Mary has never sinned before and she was preserved from original sin, which is just our sinful nature. Um, so for Catholics, devotion to Mary is essential to their worship because she is a saint and set apart as the mother of Christ. She is therefore the mother of all believers and is the source of protection. So this kind of helped me see why Mary is so, so important to Catholics because to them, she is their like mother of faith um, and she protects them. Um, Christianity teaches that Mary was the mother of Jesus and that she was highly honored because if you are going to give birth to God, that is a very <coughs> noble task, very honorable task. And Christianity also teaches that um, she was a virgin. Um, however, she was not sinless and should not be worshiped. In fact, Christianity claims that worship of Mary is idolization of Mary because um, the only person worthy of all our praise and worship is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Um, so that's kind of the difference there. Catholicism puts Mary on a pedestal and says that she is sinless and perfect and we should honor her and worship her. And then Christianity says um, she's great because she bore the Messiah. Like, that's amazing. 
um, but praise and honor and worship only the Lord is. Um, so moving on to the next section. Am I going too fast for anybody? Okay. I just don't want to keep this here forever. Um, does anyone know what a sacrament is? It's kind of a big fancy word. Or an idea. Is it like something you have to sacrifice? Um, maybe, kind of. It's like a, like sacrifice is like a ritual. So sacrament, sacraments are kind of like sacrifices, even though we don't do sacrifices today. Yeah. So like the stuff you have to do to stay saved. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. For I some guess. religions, that is, <laughs> for sure. For, I would say for Catholicism, sacraments are things that you have to do to be saved. Um, Not so it's, for Christianity. Yeah, not for Christians. Yeah, yeah. So sacraments are just parts of church that we do, um, kind of just like traditions or uh, symbols or rituals that we do. Um, so two of the most common ones in Christianity that are also common in Catholicism that we'll talk about today are baptism and communion. So what's baptism? Yeah, it's being dunked. <laughs> um, uh, what is communion? juice. Yes, yeah, we haven't done communion in so long at Village because of COVID, and I, I miss it a lot, but communion is just taking bread and juice, or bread and wine, or bread and Gatorade, whatever you want, um, and just remembering who Jesus was. So for, we're going to walk through these two sacraments, and Catholicism has more sacraments, but again, we don't want, like, we can talk about this all day, um, but I just wanted to give you guys a brief overview. Um, so for baptism, for Catholics, Catholics believe in infant baptism, so they baptize their babies as soon as they can in order to free them from original sin, which is just their sin nature. So by doing this, all the sins of that baby are forgiven. Um, so from their catechism, uh, this is a quote that is on the back of your paper, uh, born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have the need of a new birth and baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of freedom of children of God, to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a, chi deny a child priceless grace of becoming a child of God if they were not to confer baptism shortly after birth. So again, that's from the Catholic Statement of Faith. So, that statement is basically saying that after baptism, that baptism of a baby is essential for that baby to experience grace later on in their life. It's like the starting point for them receiving grace. Um, so then, if there's a starting point to grace, there has to be an end point, right? Um, so baptism is completed at confirmation, and confirmation happens when the child is older. So I know a lot of my friends went through confirmation when they were teenagers at their church, and confirmation is... Um, just a way for them to kind of um, bind themselves to the Catholic Church to show that they're really serious about their faith, that they're going to work, and that they're going to be part of this Catholic Church, um, kind of to put their stamp in the Catholic Church. Um, so this is another quote. Um, bear with me. Um, it must be explained to the faithful person that the reception of the sacrament of confirmation is necessary for the completion of baptismal grace. For by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church. They are enriched with a special strength of the Holy Spirit. Hence they are, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. Um, so participation in baptism and confirmation is necessary to receive the grace and the full grace of God. Um, so baptism is the starting point. Confirmation is the 
stamp that says, yes, I am going to be more serious about the Catholic Church. Um, so looking on the opposite side for Christianity, specifically evangelical Protestantism, which is um, just gospel-believing Christians, baptism does not save you. And we talk about this a lot, um, but who wants to explain what the purpose of baptism is for Christianity? It's kind of like a symbol of what Jesus did in your life, kind of showing everyone, like, I am saved, I am a Christian, but it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, it's a symbol. Yeah, I like how you said that. Um, so does baptism save you as a Christian? No. Yeah. I, um, I got to baptize uh, Brooke, Julie, and Paige, and when I baptized them, it was amazing, but I did not, um, I did not save them when I baptized them. Only Jesus saved them. They were not saved when they were baptized. Um, they were saved before they were baptized um, when they um, trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Um, so it's just a picture of grace that we've already received and we've received in full. Um, it is a symbol of the new life we have because of Jesus Christ. Um, we do not get baptized to get saved. We get baptized because we have been saved. Um, so then there's communion, uh, or what we call the Lord's Supper, or some people call the Lord's Supper. Um, so Catholics believe in transubstantiation. That's a huge word. Um, has anyone heard of this word before? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long one, and I can never pronounce it correctly. Um, so this means that in Luke 22, 19, when Jesus says, um, this is my body, um, take this bread in remembrance of me, this is my blood, take this cup in remembrance of me, they think that Jesus is being literal and saying that the bread is my body. So they believe that when we take communion, when they take communion and they take the bread, the bread becomes Jesus' flesh in their mouth and like becomes Jesus' actual body. Somehow it transforms when they take it. Same with the cup. They believe the cup becomes blood when they take it. And this is called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I'm, and this is another statement from their statement of faith. They say, because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly his body that he was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and this holy council now declares again that by the consecration of bread and wine there takes place a change in the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord, and of the whole substance of the, whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This changes the holy Catholic Church has fittingly and probably called transubstantiation. And substantiation. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> you okay, Andrea? Allie missed. You have to cut this out. You can't post this. Okay. Allie made a joke after you said the first time. I can't even say the word. And she said, well, it's a good thing she's not Catholic. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, maybe they have an easier way of saying it. Um, but yeah, so that's what they believe. And they so they, they look at communion completely different than Christianity does. Um, I, and we look at Luke 22 and we, we see that as Jesus saying, do this, do communion in remembrance of me. So that's what Christianity believes is communion is an act of remembering the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for us. Um, and just like baptism, it's a symbol, um, and it's a way to remind ourselves of the great sacrifice that is made for us. And it's also a way to fellowship with other believers and to praise God for the grace that we have all been given. Um, and, a and a 
passage that um, I referenced in your guys' little boxes is 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, which is usually the passage that we read through before we take communion. Um, so that's what Christianity believes. Um, any questions up to this point? I'm doing a lot of talking. Yeah. I have something to say, like it's on a question, but I was talking to somebody who, who was Catholic also, and she said that um, some Catholic families, when they when their kids hit a certain age, they have like a little ceremony for them, and they have to take communion. So it's another one of those things that they believe, like you have to do that to be saved as well. Yeah. And they make their kids do it at a certain age, and they have like a huge ceremony for it and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's yeah. another one of those things that like... <clears throat> Yeah, that's a, I didn't know that, that they had special ceremonies for that. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, so I'm not, oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah, I'll go to this. Sorry. Um, at my church, <coughs> my old church, anyway, um, they used to have something like that, and it was like a Christian church, mm-hmm. but if you were like a child, you had to be a certain age mm-hmm. to take communion. Like, if you were any younger, you couldn't, and if you were, well, yeah. So yeah. it was like first through like sixth graders in a room, and you could only take it if you were fifth grade enough. And yeah. it was just like grape juice and stuff, but they just like wanted to let you take it. Mm. Or it, if you were baptized before fifth grade. Okay. So huh. Yeah. So I'm actually, I think I label myself like a Catholic Christian because mm-hmm. I was baptized as a baby because my family, my mom's a Catholic. Yeah. But um, I had a third grade Holy Communion, so that's what okay. it is. So at the church mm-hmm. I went to, it was third grade. Mm-hmm. And like, it just seemed like it was just like parties all the time. Like, we had, oh, here's our communion here. And then my cousin would have one, so we had to go all the way over there. Mm-hmm. But it's basically, you would, as a third grader, you would have to go up to all these popes and you would have to confess your sins. Wow. So, as a third grader, you had to know what your sins were and then you had to confess them. Mm-hmm. It was actually the most terrifying thing ever because everybody's just sitting there with their phones, like, oh, you just gotta confess your sins. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. Wow. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, I hit my siblings. He's like, is that it? And I'm like, yep. So you actually like know what it's like to like be in there. Wow. Yes. That's very interesting. Yeah. Like, it's an experience to take, but then it's like it's very it's very strict. Hmm. Like the church I was at, like they like were like, oh, what is like what are the things in the Bible? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. They're very spooky. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know at all what it's like to be in those services. So that like helps it. Just to know like what it was actually like, um, and it's so interesting that you brought up confession. That's what we're going to talk about next about how you had to confess to, like popes or priests. Um, so confession refers to confessing your sin in order to receive grace and forgiveness. So for Catholics, confession must be done to a priest. So like Maddie said, they will go to their priest and confess their sin. Um, I hit my brother or sister, or I at work or I did this or that and the priest acts as the middleman between them and God um, and the priest grants them forgiveness um, and the priest has the authority to um, give them forgiveness so in their statement of faith they say since Christ entrusted to his apostles the ministry of reconciliation bishops who are in their successors and priests the bishops collaborators continue to exercise this ministry indeed bishops and priests by virtue of the sacraments of holy orders have the power to forgive all sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, 
So yeah, the, in order to be forgiven of your sins, you have to go to a person, a priest who is considered holy and in, in a certain line of family, and you confess your sin to them, and they grant your forgiveness. So um, there's no like communication or relationship with God. Um, so looking at the opposite side for Christians, they believe in the priesthood of all believers. And this is like one of my favorite parts about Christianity. And the part that just fascinates me um, is this idea of priesthood of all believers. Um, so for those of you that have walked through First Peter, um, the Bible study that we did together, what do you guys remember about how believers are their own priests? Do you guys remember what we talked about? It's okay if you don't. Yes, you guys remember the, how what we named the priest? <laughs> yeah, do you guys remember anything else? Like, why are Christians their own priests? It's like Jesus. Yeah. God, like, he took that out of the picture. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus becomes our middleman. We don't need a person. We have Jesus Christ who died for us um, and who connects us to God. So we don't need to go confess our sins to a person. We have the honor of approaching God and saying, Lord, I have sinned, and we have the, like, the privilege of being granted forgiveness from God himself. Um, so, oh, at least you, you go first. I just, I just think of that um, part where when Jesus dies in the Bible, and, like, when he dies, that, like, veil in the temple, like, tears open, kind of as, like, a, a, like, symbol of, like, us no longer having, like, something keeping us from, like, communicating with God yeah. with our sins, and yeah it's like one of the most powerful like things to think about it's just like the veil ripping into you and the curtain was like thick i don't know if you guys like know anything about how thick the curtain yeah like it's not like it just ripped because like oh it's old and you know like no that that sucker was big (laughs) so it ripped into um because of jesus's death um so i'm gonna read from first peter real fast um first peter two um nine through ten um and this explains why we are our own priests so verse nine but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are god's people once you have not received mercy but now you have received mercy so this text basically explains that because of the amazing grace that we have in Christ Jesus who forgave us of our sins, we get to have, we have full access to God. He's like right there. We don't have to go somewhere. He's always with us and he's ready to forgive us at a moment's notice. Um, So this is how we're able to pray on our own, um, to confess our sin and to be in relationship with God. And it's amazing. Like it's absolutely amazing. Um, And it's only because of Jesus. so moving into the next thing, well, first, anybody have any statements, questions? Feel free to interrupt me anytime. Okay, we'll move on to justification. So does anyone know what justification is? Anyone want to explain it? It's a big word. It's okay if you don't. You gave us the definition. I did? Being made right with a holy God as a sinner. Perfect. <laughs> go, go me. I didn't know I did that. Um, yeah, justification in simple, simple terms is just being made right as a sinner with a holy God. Um, so a question that every single person must answer, whether you're a believer, 
whether you're Christian, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Hindu, whether you're atheist, everyone has to answer, answer this question, and everyone has an answer to this question. Um, and the question is, how can I be reconciled to God? Or how can I have a relationship with God? Some people answer that question by saying, there is no God, so easy. No God, don't have to answer that question. But that's still an answer to that question. So think through that question for yourself. How can you, a sinner, be reconciled to God who is holy? Um, and this is, this is how Catholics answer this question. Uh, sinners are justified by faith and works. So they believe that good works increase the grace of God in your life. So the more good works you do, the more grace you receive. Um, grace is infused into you um, through works. Hard, working hard is being justified, and future justification, or being made right with God in the future, is possible, but it's not guaranteed. So maybe you do you do a bunch of good works for two years, but you have two years where you fall away from your faith and you do a lot of bad stuff. Um, they would they would say, well, it's not guaranteed that you're going to make it to heaven then because you've fallen away. Um, so there's no guarantee. So that's why you always have to work and work and work. Um, that's why Catholics also believe in a place called purgatory. So this is kind of a limbo state between heaven and hell. Um, and this is where a person goes if they have not done enough good, but they haven't done enough evil to go to hell. So they go to purgatory where they stay either for a certain amount of time until they've kind of like earned their place in heaven, or sometimes it, um, they go to purgatory until either the friends or the family pray enough to get them out of purgatory. Um, so again, it's all works-based and kind of proving yourself and getting more grace. So more good works, more prayers, more going to church, it's more grace and higher up you get into heaven. So that's why so many times when you ask a Catholic, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Or like, do you know you're going to go to heaven? They might answer, well, I, I hope so. Um, I hope I go to heaven. I hope I at least go to purgatory um, so my family can pray me out. Um, there's hardly any certainty that they will go to heaven um, because justification, being made right with God, isn't something that's just given to them. They have to kind of earn it. Like maybe some grace has been given to them, but they have to continue to earn that grace throughout their life. And like this is not good news. Like we call the gospel good news. Um, we say that it's wonderful news. It's great news. But like the message of Catholicism is not, it's not good news. It's exhausting news. Um, it's like... It's news that doesn't say you've been saved by grace. It's news that says you've been saved by grace, but you have to continue working for that grace. And Jesus did not die a horrible death. He did not have his hands nailed to a cross, his feet nailed to a cross. He did not get whipped in the back with the shards of glass um, so that we can have a little grace and then work the rest of our life for grace. Um, sorry. Um, he died for all our sins. Um, in the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. You don't have to work for it anymore. Um, you don't have to earn the grace. It's won for you completely in Jesus Christ. It's, the message of the gospel is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's simple. And it's just love. That's all it is. And that's why, for Christianity, sinners are justified by grace alone and by faith alone and faith in Christ. Um, so I'm, I have three passages for us to look at. Um, can I have two people willing to read? Andrea, could you read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? And then Allie, could you read Galatians 2, 16? And also verse 21. Um, 
Do you have it already? Mm-hmm. Wow, that was so fast. Um, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. So that. And then once you get there, Allie, you can read it. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh has been justified. So these two verses tell us that works works are great. You can do good deeds all day long, but that is not what our faith is built upon. Um, and then I say this verse a lot. It's Isaiah 64, 6. And um, I'm in the wrong passage. 64, 6. Um, and it says, um, We have all become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, they take us away. Um, So I quote this a lot because it basically says our best deeds are filthy before the Lord. Even our best works are filthy. We need someone someone to be our sacrifice. We need someone to be our savior in order to do anything that is good in the sight of God. Um, So that's why justification, which is through Jesus, right? Jesus becomes our sacrifice. This is a gracious act of God um, that we don't deserve, and it makes a sinner, a dirty, awful sinner that sins every single day, it makes them in in good standing before God. It actually puts them in righteous standing, not just good enough standing. We are actually, like, righteous in front of God because Jesus was perfect. And when we trust in Jesus, we are covered with his life. So we don't deserve this, not one bit, and we can't earn it, and we will never be able to earn it. It's just a gift. Um, so why is this so, like, why is this wonderful good news? Why is it good news to you? I think, like, because some of us, like, since we're all human, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall away, um, and we still have that hope that, like, even though we, like, you accidentally messed up, You're still going to make it to heaven if mm-hmm. you come back and you realize what you did. Um, and to them, if you do that, it's like, oh no, my life is over because I'm not going to get to heaven just because I fell away for like a year. Yeah. Because I made that mistake, I'm not going to get to heaven anymore. And it's just like they lose all their hope of getting to heaven just because they accidentally messed up. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, it gives us hope. The true gospel gives us hope. Yeah. We also just speak directly to God. We don't have to go to a middleman. We don't have to, like, I mean, even in the Old Testament, we don't have to wait for the one time of the year to give our stuff to the priest so mm-hmm. that he can take it to the high priest so that he can take it to the whole, like, we don't We don't have to do any of that. We just sit here and we're like, God, I messed up. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Or yeah. you ask for forgiveness and you move forward. And I think that's so special. And, I mean, you know, as we go through this, hopefully, series that we compare things like this so many other religions or even like different like paths of Christianity like you said there's a bunch of different ones that stem from what was originally called Christianity so many of them you don't speak directly to God outside of praying right we get to just talk to God the creator of the entire universe Mm -hmm. whenever we want 
It doesn't like, make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, like, he should not have allowed us to do that because who are we to be able to speak with God? Mm-hmm. But, like what you said, if, right, right, Jesus didn't die. He didn't, right, take our place the, or, like, open up the window, like, like Julia said, for us to not use it. Mm-hmm. Like, how wonderful is it that we can be, like, washing dishes and talking to God? Like, mm-hmm. It's so amazing. Yeah. I cry all the time about it because it's awesome. I'm like, I know that's lame, but like, it's not lame to cry. We talk to God all the time. Yeah. What? Yeah, it makes no sense. None. Other than just the fact that it's a gift. Yes. Like, and if we try to make sense of it, we're just going to find ourselves in a cycle of trying to work for it. Yeah. We don't work for it. It's just a gift. I it's also, amazing. It, it really is awesome because like, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah, it makes perfect sense because we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so when he died for our sins then we got that opportunity to like be with him so it makes no sense but it makes perfect sense because that's exactly what happened like it just makes no sense because we're sinners but it's just it's just really cool well imagine like people that feel lonely Mm -hmm. right like we have all felt lonely right we had a little topic about this several weeks ago Mm -hmm. about loneliness and we can just talk to God whenever we want if we struggle to feel lonely when we can talk to the Lord whenever we want, right? When we can confess sins, when we can be like, here's what's getting me down, God. I need some help. Imagine the people that don't have God mm. or that have to go to someone else. Yeah. No wonder the world struggles with depression. <laughs> like, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, don't know. I think about I, these things a lot. Sorry. And I, th- I think it's good to think about those things because it, like, sometimes as Christians we are we're told a lot by outsiders that we're judgmental. Um, but I think that we should look at, like what you were saying, like look at people and be like, driven by compassion for them, mm-hmm. driven by sympathy, and be like, uh, they don't know God loves them, and that's why I'm going to share the gospel with them, not because I'm judging them or because I think that they're worse than me. Right. Actually, I'm the same as them. I just know that there's a God that mm-hmm. loves me. But, yeah. Any other thoughts on that question? Like, why is the gospel wonderful? Also, the fact that they're, like, doing these works for, like, a selfish reason. They're saying, like, I'm just doing this because I know it's going to get me to heaven. And we know that we're saved by grace, so we just do the works because we love people. Hmm. And, like, we just do them out of love. We don't do them for selfish reasons, like, because we want something out of it. Yeah. We just do it because we're we're kind and we love people. Hmm. Yeah, and we want them to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you going to say, Allie? I think that, like... One of the fundamental things that people chase after all throughout their life is this idea of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And how, just again, how sad would it be to think that God couldn't love you unconditionally? Mm-hmm. That he did die on the cross, but you still had to prove that you were worthy. That just, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't sit there and accept that, that the God of the universe that created me for a purpose would also believe that I wasn't worthy of being loved quite enough. And that somehow I had to prove it. I mean, when I think of the relationship that I have with my father here on earth, I mean, I feel blessed because I've done a lot of things that would make him disappointed. And I've done a lot of things where he probably should just push me away, but he doesn't. And so that's how I imagine my relationship with God in heaven, is he is a father that loves me unconditionally more than anyone on this earth could ever love me. And so that just makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be such a sad thought to think 
that God doesn't have unconditional love towards us. I yes. guess. Yeah. God's love is just so simple. Mm-hmm. And we love to complicate it. And we love to complicate mm-hmm. it. And it's so simple. Yeah. It's supposed to be simple because it's for all people. Yeah. It's not something that's only the smartest people, yeah. only the best people can understand. Yeah. You can understand whatever you're like four, and you've yeah. got to understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, four-year-olds can understand it, and it should be simple enough for someone a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot older, too. Yeah. And sometimes it's more simple for someone that's four to understand it than someone who's 30 to understand it. And I think that's, it just shows how simple it is. And how absolutely perfect. Like, it is an, ab- it, it's not... Like there's no loopholes. Mm-hmm. It's a flawless plan of salvation. Yeah. And it's so simple. Yeah. And you look at, again, you look at other religions or you look at people that, like you said, try to complicate ours, and it, it's just difficult. It's draining, right? You, you're doing things for selfish reasons. It's a, it's a whole mess. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is just flawlessly simple. Yeah. It makes you feel alive. And I remember yeah. like, when I first understood the gospel, That's I was like, great. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, this is it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it just fills you with a whole different kind of joy, and it's indescribable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a lot. And thank you guys for listening to that and taking notes. I hope it was super beneficial. Um, and the whole point of this lesson is to not only better understand where Catholics are coming from, what they believe, and um, like what we believe too. Um, we want to know how to share the gospel with our Catholic friends and family. So at the bottom of the second page, I have um, three steps that are from David Platt, a phenomenal preacher um, who shares like a whole sermon series on how to um, witness to Catholics and Mormons and all, all different kinds of religions. And I can send it to you guys if you want. I got a lot out of it and it was really great. Um, but he, he breaks it down into three steps. So I thought we could walk through that today. And number one, he says to emphasize grace alone through faith alone and Jesus alone. So how would you describe grace to someone who has no idea what grace is? It's getting something you don't deserve. Yeah. Something you don't deserve. Any other thoughts? What would you say to someone that doesn't know what grace is? It's a, it's a little gift without strings. Hmm, I like that. No strings attached. No strings attached. Yeah. He doesn't give us grace and then say, okay, now you do something for me. Yeah. What about um, faith? How would you describe faith to someone that doesn't know what faith is? I think it's like something that happens, like God starts working in our lives after we are saved and he starts like growing us and (coughs) the more we believe in him, the more like we kind of grow as life goes on. Yeah. It's also kind of like a wind because like you can see you can't see it but you can see like what it does to things and like you can feel it but you still can't see it. Yeah. Like you can't physically see it but you still know it's there. Hmm. Yeah. You can't see your faith, but you yeah. know it's there. Yeah. It's also total and complete hmm. trust in yeah. God. Like there's not a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not supposed to. It's like your whole entire life is dependent on it. So why, when sharing the gospel with a Catholic or trying to explain what you believe to a Catholic, why would it be so important to emphasize grace when explaining your faith to them? I think they believe that they have to do the works in 
order to receive that grace, but as a Christian, you don't necessarily have to do anything but believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior to receive that grace. Right. We don't have to work for it every single, I mean, we work for it every day, but like we don't have to do physical works. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So by emphasizing grace, you're just emphasizing like what Jesus did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, why else? Why is it so important to emphasize grace when you're sharing the gospel with someone? I think, I mean, this may be just a simple answer, but I think just because that's, like, the foundation of our faith, like, grace, like, that's it. Yeah. Grace, we're just going to say it over and over again, just so you understand that that's it. You don't need anything else. Yeah. If you get the grace part wrong, everything else is going to be a little wobbly. Mm-hmm. because that's the foundation. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. One of the skits at Super Camp Rithic, we used to do, uh, I don't know what it's called or whatever, but the whole point of it was that it's a free gift. Hmm. It's not something that you like have to return or exchange. It's not something that you work for. Like Maddie said, it's a free gift. You hmm. just get because God is God. <clears throat> yeah, you just, you just get it. No questions asked. I mean, I guess you can ask questions, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's just going to be the same answer. Yeah, so step one in sharing the gospel with someone who is Catholic, emphasize grace um, and tell them like how amazing that grace is. Um, and number two, share that salvation is a gracious act of God, a gracious gift of God. We kind of already went over that. It's a gift. There's nothing else to it. It's just a gift. Receive it and let it become your whole life. Um how does viewing God as gracious change the way we live for him? I think maybe it makes us want to live, live for him. Hmm. Like, instead of doing it just because we have to to be saved, like, it makes us want to, like, serve him and serve him and help him sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It changes our attitude. makes us want to do it. Yeah, God is not counting our good deeds and our bad deeds to see if we made it into heaven. He's not, like, tallying, like, oh, she did three good things today and two bad things yesterday. I think if she dies tomorrow, I'll send her to purgatory. Like, that's not what he is doing. Um, rather, he gives us a clear way to go to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no counting. It's all forgiven, every single part of it. Um, and knowing that he is gracious makes us want to love him and love others even more. It's, like, the right motivation. Um, and finally, the last, um, the last thing... Um, that he talks about in his sermon is to live by the gospel, the true gospel, with all you are. So we talked about this the week that we were talking about how to share the gospel with your friends um, and um, just how you'll never convince someone that the gospel is real if your life is not all consumed by it, that you're not convinced of it yourself. Um, So ask yourself, am I like, am I in love with the gospel? Is it like, is it my everything? Do I trust this with all I am? Um, And if your answer is yes, perfect like live by it and you will be a light everywhere you go um the bible makes it clear that the gospel is serious enough to live for and to die for um like are you ready to live for the gospel every single day and to proclaim that jesus christ saved you by faith alone and grace alone and are you willing to die for that message um because if you are you will definitely be showing (laughs) like exactly how powerful jesus is just by the way you live your life um so yeah, those three things are things you can keep in mind as you are witnessing and sharing your faith. Um, and yeah, 
never forget that it's not what we do, it's what Jesus does. Because even, even if you do consider yourself a gospel-believing Christian, it's so easy to drift into works-based things and think that you have to do enough at church or you have to do enough like good deeds and be nice to your friends and be nice to like your family. And those are great. We should definitely do that. But that's not what saves you. And if you mess up, he's ready and he's there to forgive you. Um, and you can go to him. No middleman. You can go to him right now. There's nothing standing between you and God. The veil has been ripped in two because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Um, any comments or questions? Um, I just wanted to say, you were talking about how God's gracious act towards us kind of sets the stage for how we treat others. Hmm. And in Matthew 18, 21 through like 35, I won't like read it or anything, it's talking about a servant who doesn't pay his master what he's owed and basically the master says like because of this I'll have to condemn you but then he like asks the master for forgiveness the servant says like I don't have anything to offer you and so the master says okay I'll forgive you your sins and then this servant ends up becoming a master to someone else and that servant isn't able to pay him what he's owed and so like this idea like because he ends up kind of condemning his servant and so Jesus is like this is one of his parables that he teaches and it's just an example of how God's grace towards us should kind of set the stage for how we are gracious and forgiving of others. So, yeah, it would be like a shame to believe that God's grace wasn't complete. Yeah. Because then how are we supposed to treat others if we get to kind of decide, hmm. if you wrong me, I mean, you got to have the work for it to get back in my good <laughs> grace. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like what kind of a relationship is that? Hmm. It's less. It's less of a relationship. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. I love that. God's grace gives us a blueprint for what our grace should look like. That's the only way that we'll be able to do it. Any other questions, comments? Great job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I didn't keep you guys all day. So. Um, all right, let me pray for us, and then you guys can get on with your Saturdays. Um, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning, and we praise you. Um, God, we praise you for the gospel, how simple it is, how wonderful it is. God, that you sent your son to die for us, um, that Jesus willingly went to the cross and suffered a terrible, awful death that we will never understand and never have to experience, God, um, just so that we can have communion with you, just so that we can talk to you and um, fellowship with you. God, so that I can pray to you right now, um, and there's no middleman between us. There's nothing that stands between us, including my sin. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't fully know the gospel, doesn't fully trust in Jesus as their Savior. Lord, would you just work in their hearts? Um, would you soften their hearts and open their eyes to your truth, how wonderful it is, how transformative it is? Um, Lord, would our lives be transformed by the gospel? Would it mark every single thing we do? Would it lead us to be gracious and kind towards others and um, to be led by compassion rather than judgment? Um, Lord, we love you. Um, would you be with us as we be lights in this, um, in this world? Would you give us the words to say um, and the things um, to even think, Lord? Um, Lord, we love you, and we need your, your help every step of the way. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.